0: Friends and enemies, welcome to the podcast. This is Jim Gentile. I am here in what my son John has described as Sodom and Gomorrah, otherwise known as the Williamsburg section of Brooklyn, New York, with our two guests who I'll introduce in a moment. But first, I want to introduce my fellow podcasters, my friends, my sometimes antagonists, John Heights from Shanghai, China. Hi, Jim. And Peggy Bennett from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Good morning, everybody. Peggy, how are you feeling? You were under the weather recently.
1: Yes, right now I give it a, a B, a B. Plus. You give it so a B we'll plus? See. I'm doing a lot so of coffee. So, does that mean
0: you're going to be aggressive and edgy? Because we love it when you're that way.
1: I doubt it. I think I'm going to lay low today because the more I talk, the more I cough.
2: I'm going to be sultry.
0: (laughs) Okay. That's impossible, John, because that would assume that you have some allure. Our guests today are the fabulous bon vivant and raconteur David Persky, whose apartment slash sound studio we are recording in. David is with the Social Impact Exchange, and I read their website, and I want to quit and go to work for them because it sounds very impressive. David, what does the Social Impact Exchange do?
3: I'm not actually sure myself, so that's why <laughs> <laughs> that's why I gave you a, a bio in advance. But uh, no, so so we uh, we bring together uh, funders and, and philanthropists and policy experts to uh, you know to work on on some of the. The, uh, the issues that uh, society is dealing with in, in education and health. And, and right now we're working on a health project that's, uh, you know, working toward rapidly reducing the number of people with chronic disease uh, in the U.S. And our
0: other guest, Oxford's own Eloise Maxwell, who is uh, uh, studying uh, for her um, Ph.D. at the Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island, and uh, she is an expert in all things related to art, as is David, because David formerly worked in the creative arts. Hello, Eloise.
4: Hi, Jim. Now,
0: I have to tell you one thing about Eloise, is the very first time she met me, she told everyone that I was absolutely frightening her. That's not that unusual. So what is art, Eloise?
4: I think I said to you when you asked me to do this that I didn't like the question. <laughs> Um, And I'm not sure it is the question we should be asking. It
3: just strikes me as one of those, like, you know, kind of free-for-all bonanza questions that come up on this podcast from time to time. So, uh, you know, wherever you take it, it goes, right?
4: Okay, so what's art for you?
3: No, that's not fair. That's passing the buck. Well, let me tell you the origin
0: of the podcast. I saw this... I was afraid
2: you were going to say the origin of art.
0: Well... (laughs) (laughs) The origin of art is, uh, is clear, but... I'm
1: sure Jim knows.
0: I saw this movie called The Square, and it's about a museum curator. And at one point in the movie, they are interviewing an artist, and they ask the artist, if someone took this woman's handbag and put it up on this pedestal in the museum, would that be Art. And that is what inspired me to ask the question. And John Heinz, I'm sure you know what art is. Oh, absolutely.
1: Jim, what did they say in the movie? What was the answer about the handbag?
0: The answer in the movie was gobbledygook, like the rest of the movie. So the question is... I thought we'd bring in two experts, David and Eloise, who would elucidate this point for us. I'm
2: excited about is it. Is the
0: ham- is the woman's handbag
3: art, David? Yeah, of course. I mean, but not for everyone, right? So it it totally is a question of context or, you know, how you perceive it. Yeah. So like so what what constitutes an artist? An artist is anyone who says they're an artist, you know? Do you have do you have thoughts about that?
4: Um, no, I would agree with you. I think context is key. It's also, I think it's to do with this guy, Tommy Taunston. He talks about it, institutionalism, right? So that's where the context comes in. An artist, sure, is an artist if they say, yeah, I'm an artist, but it's about visibility and who agrees with them.
3: Right, exactly. So, so my, my view of art is probably more expansive than this institutionalized version of art. Art is, for me, a process. You can see art everywhere. You can walk out the door and the most mundane things that you encounter um, that were never intended as art, per se, uh, can become art
2: given that we given that we have asked we have asked two people who at least at least for a portion of their careers have devoted professional time to art in some capacity it seems to me that we have to some degree predisposed our uh, the angle we're going to take on this question to be talking about the industry of art or at least maybe i'm just using this as an excuse as a way to narrow the subject i'm curious about that so basically,
0: you want to talk about what you want to talk about, John. That's what we're. Saying
2: well, here. well, I, I, I guess, I guess it's unclear to me. I thought, what is it
0: that you want to talk about today, I John? I thought Eloise Let's and I thought Eloise
2: and it. David worked in art or had desire to work in art, and I thought that was why I'm
3: Eloise does and David did. No, I worked in the field of contemporary dance for a, a very long time, and so when I when I think of art, I think of something that is you know uh, much more ephemeral and you know like choreography. It's not something that you can. Encapsulate, and I suppose you can, you know, you can videotape it, right? Um, you can actually hook people's bodies up with electrodes and, and capture it in some kind of uh digital format. But you know, at the end of the day, when I think of dance, I think of something that can't really be captured and institutionalized in the way that fine art is.
0: But it's still art, you wouldn't say it's not art, right, David? Of course, and Eloise, of course is works in uh, you know visual arts correct eloise
4: yeah that's correct i'm getting my phd in art history at brown and i'm focusing on the history of photography
0: so does that answer your question mr Hines? my question
2: is is a, my question is, is goes down this path in a bunch of different ways one way one thing i'm simply curious about is how one in today's day and age when maybe art is not supported the way it was in the past with patrons Government money, um, and so one one question I have is about how you pursue a career in art, and what the rewards and costs of that are. And my other question is uh, is is about the about the nature of art and whether the industry of art actually affects its value in Eloise and David's opinions.
0: Well, let's talk about the second question because I think another way of reformulating that question is to say, is art what people are willing to pay for to consume that they call art. Exactly. That's think, the LA? question.
4: No, I don't think it always has to be what people can. What people are willing to pay for.
2: So if it's not what people are willing to pay for,
4: well, what about consume?
0: Would you say if it's would that be broaden it for you, Eloise?
4: Well, okay, so if consume means just to look at and appreciate, yeah.
3: Sure. Like we we commodify everything in in this society, and uh, we we presume that if something has value, then it's uh, I don't know, then it's worth worth looking at but uh, you know art is actually a deeply personal kind of uh, experience you know like i think to to talk about art in this way is to kind of miss the point entirely like what is the, the purpose of art well let me ask you that
2: david I, someone, sometime, told me. I remember hearing something about how the Beatles were great until they started being successful. That when they were hungry and poor, they were good, and when they started That's to be completely wrong. Okay, good. That is in fact. Okay, 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 right. okay. So then it's so.
0: Why don't you use a different All right, example? Well, so there. the
3: question is, does art come from necessity? So, so the Beatles example is perfect because it what it really points to is even even people who are against the commodification of art sometimes. Think about it in terms of like a reaction to its commodification. The Beatles were great before they were known, and they were great after they were known. And it has nothing to do with their marketability. And, John, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. fact that you would even raise the possibility
0: that the Beatles were not great would indicate that you need to go back to art school or something. (laughs) I don't know what to say. He must have read that. (laughs) I also want to point out that we have not yet commodified this podcast, which indicates. (laughs) Probably that it is valueless. Wouldn't you agree, Eloise? no I wouldn't to the,
4: to would the
2: contrary art. that's what makes it art as soon as we start commodifying it it's over I'm com- sorry as soon as we start monetizing so it it's over so what about that
0: idea what about the idea that commodification is the opposite of art
4: no I don't agree with that either because art is a, it is a commodity it's, it can be both I don't think we need to be so narrow and this is the this is the problem I had with the question you get into these conversations and I'm not sure are that productive that really maybe a better question is what is art good for
0: I agree with Eloise.
4: What does it do in the world?
0: Peggy, what were you going to say?
1: Well, first I was going to say maybe John read that article, that interview with uh, Quincy Jones about the Beatles. Yeah,
0: Quincy Jones is off his ass. <laughs> <laughs> that was
1: a, such a funny article. Yeah, I mean, art. I When somebody puts a leaf in my foam on my latte, that's art <laughs> to me. I love it. <laughs> totally,
4: yeah. I totally agree with that. That's why I don't think. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. To think, is this art or is this not? But more like, when it, it, if we just accept that anything can be art today, which I think is true, where what is it doing? Like, and where, and where is it doing something different if it's in a museum versus on the street? Yeah, versus like a leaf in someone's latte. Like, what is? What's what is the difference in the impact?
3: I agree. Yeah, for for me, art is really about paying attention, right? It's like waking up and appreciating everything that's around us, and and seeing something that others may not necessarily see, but that that makes it uh, makes the moment what it is.
0: Hmm. Years ago, many years ago, because I'm incredibly old, I had the privilege of seeing Lily Tomlin's one-woman show, "The Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe." And one of the characters she portrays is a woman who talks to aliens. And by aliens, I don't mean people like Eloise from outside the United States. I mean people from outer space. And at one point, she shows the aliens a can of Campbell's soup and says, this is soup. And then she shows him the Warhol (laughs) painting and says, this is art. And then she puts them both behind her back, and she pulls them out and says, now, which is which? And it makes me think, at what point does the experience transfer from being soup to art? At what point does it become – how do we know we're undergoing an artistic experience?
4: I mean, I think I agree with David. It's about the kind of attention that you're paying to the thing. When you're looking at a can of soup that you're about to eat, maybe you are. Maybe some people do appreciate the aesthetic qualities of it's – branding or whatever but i haven't experienced that myself but when i look at a warhol work i'm looking at it and i'm in a different way and i'm asking different questions
3: so i'm i'm looking at lily tomlin here and and uh you know just uh looked her up because i didn't know this reference given that you know jim's self-proclaimed ancientness yes and and uh i'm I'm getting agreement (laughs) here and uh I wouldn't trust
0: anything she said. I think the proper word is antiquity, <laughs> not ancient.
3: How apropos!
0: What do you guys think about what Eloise said? I thought that was interesting.
2: It is. I'm, I'm kind of. Want, I wanted to extrapolate on it a little bit because I'm already feeling like I'm losing the pace of. Uh, the, the. I'm, I'm getting a. I'm listening to the swath of what's being said, and I'm missing the details.
4: Okay, John. What is it you want me to repeat? So I was saying. Which is really taking from what David said, that it's a, it's a different kind of attention that you pay to something that you consider a work of art. Yes. So even the example of like the leaf in the latte. Yeah, that can be art because it makes you look at the latte in a different way. If it wasn't there, you wouldn't be interested in looking at it. So it's a different. And again, that's a different kind of thing from a Warhol Canvas. That
2: makes sense to me. Okay, so let me ask you this. Is it if is this part of the valuable part valuable part of a conversation about what about art or is this still in the kind of it's so removed from something useful that it's uh you know that we we really should move on and agree that that's the case because I agree with you.
0: Way, John, of saying you want to talk about something else—you're tired no, of talking I, about I, this. I
2: agree that art is in that art has to do with how one perceives it and what one is what, what to what one is paying attention. That makes total sense to me. So the question for me is: Is that
3: useful? So when it when it boils down to you know going to a museum and looking at art on the wall, I'll be really frank. For me, I you know I've spent a lot of times going to a lot of you know. Uh, exhibitions and 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 it, it can be very engaging but usually it's the you know it's the show that is uh, you know takes a particular you know historical time period and I have my audio guide and I'm, I'm really or you know or I'm being guided through the show by somebody who knows a lot about it and is is open to answering questions where I feel engaged but if I'm just walking through a museum and there are pieces of art on a wall, and it's taken out of its context. That doesn't really provide me with a lot of value. I think, just to be honest, people people endure this because they think it's what they so ought Banksy
2: to do. Banksy and art that occurs in some pre that in some in some uh, natural context is is more
3: art. No, I, I didn't say that. All I'm saying is that if you take Banksy and 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 then you, I don't know, like uh, somehow. Remove the the wall that it was originally created on, and then and then stick it into a museum. Uh, something is lost, right? And I, I'm not saying that museums are bad. They provide people with an opportunity to experience things that they may not otherwise see. Hopefully, the museums provide Eloise with a job someday. That is
0: another reason why we support museums.
4: Um, wait. So I have a question for David, which is: What if you're looking at a work of art that was really intended to be viewed in the way that it, you view it in a museum or a gallery like abstract expressionist painting for instance where it was really thought of in the context of, of a gallery or museum maybe not initially but it wasn't it's not to put it in a gallery or museum it's not to decontextualize it necessarily
3: that, there's no problem with that at all and again it's all a matter of context so like if a person is coming to a museum and and they're trouncing through the contemporary wing and trying to look at a thousand works of abstract art, it just, it doesn't, the experience doesn't work for people, right? So, so if it, if it's um, kind of contained in a way, or if there are, if there's a way to guide uh, the viewer to to having an experience for themselves that will actually provide some value. That's that's wonderful.
0: I don't know about the other two of you, but I really just want to hear David and Eloise talk for the rest of the to the time here because. They clearly are better at this than any of us. So. I,
2: I have a well. My my question: Are we so far? We've been talking about paintings and art. I'm curious if we're, what we're talking about when we talk about art, are we talking about only? Are we talking about visual art? Are we talking about art? Are, are we limiting our conversation to painting, or are we talking about music, literature?
0: I think we're talking about the broader thing, which raises a question: What I was thinking in terms of Eloise's point about how you appreciate something is the defining line. Are there ways of appreciating ballet, opera, movies in a non artistic way, or is that inherently artistic?
4: I don't know about this idea of inherent something being inherently artistic. We might need to think about that for a bit. There is probably a way that you could do what David even just described, where you um, approach watching. A play or a ballet in the same way that you might go to a museum and speed through it and not really look at what you're looking at and so in that case it doesn't really matter if it's art or not if you're l- watching a ballet but not paying attention or you're just thinking about it in terms of surface entertainment I don't know But maybe that's also valid too
3: I don't know if I'm answering your question or not Jim but when when I when I go you know watch a rehearsal or even a performance of dance when I when I started working in the industry the closest i got to you know moving my body was uh, a couple of of times at the at the treadmill back uh, treadmill back in undergrad before which i needed like you know a couple cups of coffee just to work up to it and then sitting there being present to these dancers move their athletic bodies you know your 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 foot starts tapping right and and your body starts moving and to me uh, aside from dance being art there's a visceral experience that i have where I become inspired, and and that's that's uh, led me to my interest in yoga and and everything else that's followed. I have a question about the, about the
2: about your work in 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 the industry of art. I'm curious about for each of you what you think most people don't realize about art as an industry.
3: Well, any, I mean, this, this is kind of obvious, but most artists, because they're not being commissioned by the Pope, are looking for. <laughs> are looking for opportunities to make money. And of course, it's gonna influence the medium that you use, right? It's gonna influence uh, the colors that you use and the content that you create. And you know, if you look at the different strands of artwork that are coming out of the MFA programs at Columbia and I don't, where I'll, wherever else is considered the place to go to break into the scene, there's a, cert, there, there's a certain quality, um, I would say, certainly to the paintings, um that are a pathway into into the industry
4: yeah and I um I worked for a couple of years for a commercial gallery a contemporary gallery in London and the thing that really struck me having come straight out of my undergrad which I majored in art history I had no idea how influenced artists were by their gallerists I just didn't understand that relationship at all so a lot of times actually the artists would change what they were making based on how much money the gallery could give them to fabricate stuff literally it came down to that question like oh we want to use this kind of light bulb or this kind of I don't know metal and they were like well that's going to cost us thousands of dollars whatever and and I don't know if we can support you with that and so then decisions have to be made and it's not even necessarily a compromise in their artistic vision sometimes it can be but it's it's those sort of mundane day-to-day things that really struck me
3: if you hit it big if all of a sudden you're you know your your paintings of wrapped candies right? And like pastel colors are, are a huge hit on the scene and you're, you're, you're getting hundreds of thousands of dollars for the gallery. You're going to continue painting those for a very long time. And the idea of breaking out and trying something entirely different is, you know, sometimes off the, uh, it's just not possible. I, am thinking about this documentary I saw for, um, oh gosh, who was the famous, who's David Geffen, right? And Neil Young was one of his, you know, one of the people who, who he produced and, and, uh, Recorded for a long time. stole money from. <laughs> I think Neil's forgiven him for that, but uh took a long time. And you know Neil went through this phase where he was totally underwritten, and he went off this off the rails, so to speak, the commercial rails, and recorded these uh, very electronic, you know synthy kind of tracks that were not commercially successful, but as an artist, he was working out what he had to work out, most, and he was sued by David Geffen, and David now says that that was a mistake. But the, the truth is that uh, many artists are not gonna take those types of risks because it's implied that that just would not be acceptable.
4: Yeah, the, the, the money always comes into it, that's the thing.
3: So that's why I like to think about art as a process, more than anything, as a, as a form of, of expression, self-expression, and anybody can, can engage in it. And if, if you're if you're expressing yourself and it's commercially viable, then fantastic.
2: David is is the is the art recognition and identification and distribution systems that we have in the world maybe in America or in Europe or in the whole world are they sufficiently robust to be able to identify great art?
3: No. Not at all. I mean they're geographically ghettoized, they're racially ghettoized. They're culturally ghettoized and and you know the people who choose the art that gets seen are only people right so they only can see what they can see and they go where they can go but that's what you kind of end up with
4: yeah i agree and this is what makes the art world this very sort of closed elitist place
2: explain that to me because it seems like it could be the opposite right it could be that because there's no great system out there for identifying the greatest art that instead of it being elitist and, ex- and closed, it's kind of there's this kind of awareness within the industry that it's all just random, <laughs> and it's just a it's a crapshoot whether you're going to find out or not. So then it might as well be open because you never know where it's going to come from.
4: Yeah, I mean that sounds like a nice <laughs> picture. I don't know that it is how it works. I because of the, because the artists that are successful and have their work bought and sold at auction, private, you know, whatever. It those are the artists that are able to keep making work there are a lot of artists out there basically who are not going to be able to continue making work because they can't afford to and that is a problem
0: i should point out that eloise having been born raised and gone to school at oxford knows elitism firsthand she was raised at oxford it's not like me who went to a truck driving academy for college (laughs) you went to a truck driving academy for college well, Georgetown University compared oh, to Oxford, God. it's wow, basically ninety-nine point nine nine
2: percent of the population who are listening to us.
0: Oxford is Oxford, right? I mean, you know, not even Cambridge can measure up, Docs.
3: This might sound like a, rid- a ridiculous distinction, but I-, I would say that people who want to make art will will always make art, right? So, like, they can't afford to to have fabrication and, and to have, uh, you know, to have their art seen in the way that, you know, somebody in that the cabal of, of artists in the top tier can. And, again, like, that brings us back to the question of, like, what is the purpose of art? If we see it as a process, then everybody is entitled to create art at any time in their lives, irrespective of their support by a gallery.
4: I guess I was thinking more about john's question about industry what you're saying is true i do agree with you but
2: well explain explain right the, so the distinction is that with I- in industry it's
4: it is a closed system i think i think it is that's where the elitism comes in but what david is uh describing is also true that yeah whoever has this inclination to make things will make them regardless of whether they're being sold and whether they're part of the system or not
3: we're we're, we're placing our values on like yeah it is Oh my gosh! It's like obviously better to make millions of dollars and to have your art seen by a lot of people, but then then it begs the question: at what what cost? Right? For example, John, it is us on
0: Sunday mornings doing a podcast about things that we want to talk about, which what very few people listen to and doesn't make any money. Versus trying to do a podcast that would have sponsors, and where we'd be worried about what the audience wants to hear, and you know, be trying to figure out you know how we can increase our
3: ratings. Sure. That's the difference, right? This is a, a very enjoyable, freewheeling conversation. <laughs> that's not being commodified.
0: <laughs> when Eloise was talking earlier and she mentioned the idea that someone could, have an artistic experience over a meal like over soup. But obviously you can have a meal without having the artistic experience. So I get this frequently about going to the movies with people which is I will go to a movie and then I'll say what I think about the movie and then people say well, I just go to enjoy it. You no, know, I don't I don't want to think about it. I mean so so in a way they're not having an artistic experience. They're just going for some something else besides art. No, not
4: necessarily, because for them, enjoying something might be a kind that that might be what they're looking for in an artistic experience. It's it's all it's super subjective.
0: They're enjoying it, but they're enjoying the way someone enjoys food, right? But they're not enjoying it the way appreciating it on a different level, which makes it art, right? Uh, no, I, I'd have
3: to to disagree.
1: I keep thinking about food, and often people think a delicious meal or the presentation of a meal is also art and artistic. Chefs.
3: Yeah, a chef's artistry, right. Like I think what Jim is pointing to is is this idea of art as being something transcendent and thought-provoking. And it doesn't have to be that. And it certainly can. And it, it, that is one of the things that I think art can do well. But the experience of art is, again, it's very, very much uh, the context. Raises the question then, if
0: if any experience is is an artistic experience, what is the difference between soup and art? Because it seems to me that there are different ways of experience, which is what Eloise was saying. And some of them are art or artistic and some of them are not. And that's what I'm guessing. Questioning about that. That goes to my earlier question about: Can you have an experience of dance or plays or opera or movies or art that's non-artistic? Can you just say, "I'm checking this off the list" or something?
4: Yes, I think you can, as I said earlier, and it is to do with the kind of attention that you're paying to it. So, of course, you can you can eat a bowl of soup and not feel anything, you know, and not even know that, you, not even taste it, because you're not thinking about the act of eating soup. But there is a way that eating soup can can be transcendent I'm, i mean i wish i had had that experience but
3: I, I i think right absolutely so like when when i'm when i'm eating a, a bowl of soup i can think about the bowl of soup as filling my stomach right like <laughs> filling my stomach and like fulfilling on a biological need that i need to survive when i'm when i'm eating soup i can think about the the ingredients and i can think about it on a molecular level right that can be my frame of reference i can think about the sodium molecules and I don't know, you know, like, and, and then if, if I approach eating a bowl of soup as a performance, the spoon goes in, I lift it from the, you know, um, if I, if I want to be mindful or intentional in any way about my experience of eating soup, I can do that. And, and that's really what, what life is, right? We're, we're always putting on these different lenses to, to look at really the same thing. We can Talk about it in many different ways.
1: And Jim, maybe your friends who you go to the movies with, whom you go to the movies, I have know, no friends, Peggy. But, have a but deep discussion, and they just they just say, "Oh, I just I just go because I want to enjoy it." They they're using it as perhaps an escape, and they don't want to have a detailed discussion, and they don't want to engage in a conversation like we're having now. They just want to go. They want the movie
0: to be criticized, but
1: you know. or they just want to not think too much about it which i don't know so if they're not reflecting
0: on well my mother would say how can it be an artistic experience any
2: movie with a sad ending is a bad movie to them it's not now and i don't don't, and i don't even know if she'd enjoy it i mean she i mean we i know lots of people who do want i mean i think this is the criticism that you were alluding to earlier jim which is that some people think of art as escapist and they want to get away from reality by going by by uh you know diving into some kind of art. But I think that it's entirely reasonable that some people, their experience of art, for it to be art, has to fit into certain content categories.
0: John, that's fine. and But let me just point out that since your mother, I love your mother, and she occasionally listens to the podcast, I'm not going to disagree with her. But I do think that even escapist, so-called escapist art... Should be measured against certain expectations. That you know whether it successfully achieves this concept of escape is a worthwhile subject for discussion. I
3: agree with that. I just wanted to, to follow up on on that thought. So if if art is really to open up something in somebody, whatever it may be, one of the things that art can do really well is to to demonstrate to other people what's possible out of the out of the creative process, right? And so if If people are going to look at art and they have all of these constraints around their considerations of art and it removes them further of thinking of themselves as a creative, vital person, then kind of what's the point, right? And so I think a lot of these constraints that we've imagined around an, quote, artist or quote, art. And a lot of that's been done through institutionalization and commodification are are made up. The thing that pops to my head right right now is, uh, you know, thinking about the queen. It's like an entire, it's it's grand, it's beautiful, it's ornate, and it's entirely made up by people. (laughs) There's no such thing as an artist with a capital A. It's totally made up and it benefits the people that it benefits. But for the rest of us, it, it kind of that's a bankrupt way of looking at it because it strips us of our of our humanity and, and thinking about ourselves as, as creative beings. Now, if on the other hand, art can open us up to see, you know that each of us have have the capacity for self-expression and creativity, that's a totally different conversation.
1: Well, and, and also going back to Lois, I would have to say that just because somebody doesn't like something doesn't mean it's not art. Right, which I think we've touched on before. You don't have to like it for it to be artistic. Good art, bad art. What's that skiing in that movie, American Beauty? Right, where's isn't there a kid who videotapes a bag floating in the sky and mm-hmm. he thinks it's the most beautiful thing he's ever seen, and it's put to music, and we're all expected to find that dramatic and moving? I mean, it's it's like Eloise said. It's just it's personal.
0: By the way, John. Peggy actually does sound sultry. No, I know so. she always
2: does. That's why I was t- That's why I you was know, joking. I was a little I bit concerned when I brought you have it up a long way to go. I was a little bit cons- to achieve Peggy's I was levy concerned that when I brought it up that it was sexist. Here. That's why I backed away and applied it to myself because I just feel like I don't I'm not think sure. being sultry is, is sexist. Is sultry a specifically female related? Let's
1: let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the Obama paintings.
3: I forgot to mention that uh, that that women are excluded from the art cabal too.
0: Definitely, you know. <laughs> It's definitely true. Michael O'Donohue, the comedy writer for National Lampoon in the early Saturday Night Live, used to say that women couldn't be funny because they didn't have penises. <laughs> it's true. He said that. <laughs> I don't think it's true, but he said that. He's dead now. Right. So I guess the last <laughs> laugh is on him. Well, I, uh, I want about to talk about Peggy. the Obama painting. Yeah, let's talk about the Obama painting. Peggy, speak.
1: Nothing. I'm just. Every time I speak, I cough. So I'm just. I just wanted to interject. But what did you, you think uh,
0: about yeah. the Obama? Would, do you like them? Yeah, they're
4: fine. <laughs> 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 well, that's a productive Catch. source of conversation. What do you think of the Obama paintings, <laughs> Eloise? I agree with Peggy. I don't like. I don't love them. <laughs> um, Ke- Kehinde Wiley is not my favorite. Um, I saw an. Evan- I know, I, that's really controversial. Um, I saw a retrospective of, of his work at the Brooklyn Museum, and there was a video that, in which he sort of described his process that felt to me a little bit exploitative of some of his models. I know that's not going on here with Obama, but I kind of couldn't get away from that feeling. So when I see his work, it kind of stays with me.
0: When you say things like that, do your friends go, I just
3: want to enjoy the painting.
4: Yeah, I mean, people love him. So I'm in a minority here, I think.
3: I saw that show yeah I thought it was pretty good yeah I I mean I guess it made me made me think about again like you know how we our context of of people and and the places in which they're situated I think he you know he takes a lot of um, African-American men and and puts them in these kind of royal paintings with a contemporary flair like you know like sneakers like a man riding a horse which is really thought-provoking what was the what was the question again
0: what did you think of the Obama paintings, John? Do you want to now talk about the commodification of art? Well, my 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 question was
2: about was to David and Eloise in response to what we were talking about earlier. It was just basically the I got the feeling from them that they're basically letting go of the reins on what art is. So I was going to ask them what is bad art? Bad art, David. This podcast, right?
3: I I I think that's the wrong question. Punt.
4: Yeah, I think it shouldn't be what is good, what is bad. I mean, it comes back to what I said earlier, which is what is it good for and David touched on that too the idea of it being transformational somehow making you see the world in a different way for me that I mean so and this is a very subjective very personal response but the art that I tend to enjoy the most is the art that makes me think about my daily life differently that I walk away from having a more expansive understanding of what we're doing in the world and why we're here and all these things are super corny but like for me that is the thing that will stay with me and it's why i work on the things that i do
3: that's so great And, and and you know just kind of like going back to the movie uh example of you know jim's fully engaged friends is that like art really is whatever it is that taps into your pleasure center right like so for eloise it's art that allows her to see to think about her daily life and to, to explore new thoughts. And for some people, art is an escape. And, and so it really just depends on, on what it is that you, you bring to it, what it is that, that you're looking for, and, and what you're accustomed to seeing. So in that sense, again, with all the different lenses in which we approach art uh, and, and we approach the world, uh, it can, something can be both good and bad at the same time.
0: So I'm halfway through reading the Walter Isaacson biography of Leonardo da Vinci. And one of the things that's interesting about it, which is probably trite, but the, the rigor, the technical skill that's involved in the creation of art is, is what comes through for me in reading this biography. And of course, in da Vinci's case he was like an artist and on some level a proto-scientist. So there's that sort of mixture, which I think is really interesting. One of the things I did not know is that he spent a lot of his time as essentially what we would now call a production designer for performances in the court, which I think is fascinating in terms of our whole discussion about what is art, especially because I don't know how this fits in today but in can, canonically people think of da vinci as sort of the the
3: artist uh, you know with a capital a right absolutely i mean he's fascinating and at the same time that's a very masculine view of an artist with a capital a so you know it's it's great to da is amazing he blows my mind and it's also good to look at you know what else we're bringing into the conversation when we're defining the term art
4: yeah i mean i I agree we should I think being expansive and being critical also of those received the demarcations so what is good what is bad how like what is it that allowed Leonardo allows him still to be the pinnacle of the of, of the canon that is art history that is mainly white dudes and thinking about the other things that he was doing is is useful for that but maybe we shift attention away from Leonardo
3: right so in that sense isn't art a mirror in a lot of ways
4: What do you mean by that?
3: Well, when when people, when white guys who like science look at Da Vinci's work, they're enthralled. It's the best thing ever. And, well, it just so happens that uh, white guys who like science, uh, you know, have some some power in the world, and therefore Da Vinci's at the top.
0: Does the fact that Da Vinci was gay make it different than him just being a, a dead white male? Does that change that at all? Absolute pure art what, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Immortalized was it, it, was, forever Did the word and gay exist?
3: Because those gays, they're just different. They didn't call
0: them gay. I think they called them sodomites <laughs> in those days.
3: But, I mean, that's that's the truth of Da Vinci. He would have lived in Williamsburg.
0: <laughs> he would have been on the podcast had he been here today. And he probably would have said that Andy Warhol stuff was a piece of shit. But,
4: uh, yeah, I don't know if it changes anything for me it's definitely relevant and it's something that should be talked about that often isn't I mean I was frustrated in a related vein I went to the Rauschenberg retrospective at MoMA and the way they talk about his relationship with Jasper Johns is so like clinical they were lovers and they somehow for me like didn't didn't want to focus on the fact that he was gay and part of this circle of people who were really like productively helping each other's work but that they were also in relationship with each other sometimes that's not relevant but the way that his relationship with John's played out, I think is relevant to the way his work was created.
2: Do you think, I'm taking Jim's uh, comment and making it a little more serious, but I'm asking, do you think the fact that Da Vinci was gay or whatever had same-sex desire since the word gay didn't exist, you know, and probably certainly knew that in the, the time in which he lived, that would be unacceptable. Do you think that that created some kind of oppressive situation that made him more likely to be able to produce
0: art?
4: Wow. I... I'll ill-equipped to answer that question because I don't know enough about Leonardo. But it's it's possible.
0: Part of what I'm saying is, first of all, I think Isaacson uses the term "gay" in writing the biography. But secondly, it's interesting because he draws a contrast between Da Vinci, who apparently embraced his his sexual identity, whatever it was, whatever how it was to put in those terms, versus Michelangelo, who apparently was also gay or a sodomite or whatever term we want to use, but felt very conflicted about that. And from what Isaacson is saying, is that that da Vinci wasn't conflicted about that. He was very, very, uh, very much embraced that. So, so you have two artists who overlap, two canonically great artists who overlap, who had very different experiences of being gay. I don't know. No, what no, no, no do you I'm fine. We,
2: we, we, we'll, we'll, for the sake of the podcast, we'll, this time we'll, uh, we'll, we'll st- I'll stipulate that we, we can use gay.
0: Well, I don't want to compromise. No, what I don't know. I mean, it's just, I
2: get, I, my point is just that I wasn't even certain that same I, sex. I get,
0: it's an anachronism, obviously, but I mean. Correct. That's
2: fine. No, we can but, use it. My mean, bigger question is, Does the oppression, is there oppression that comes from gay and does oppression help create art? There is no oppression that comes from being
3: gay. Of
0: course, there's oppression from coming
3: to being gay. John. Does it help create art? We have an off mic comment. I want to hear it.
4: John was saying that there is something about about this marginalization that then creates a kind of impetus or an energy. Yeah, exactly. And but I would just be reticent to make any of these bold statements without knowing enough of the context. And there's a there is a, a point at which someone's sexuality then becomes the whole drive for their work and then it can be reductive and um, it is important but
3: yeah I mean like the the idea of like you know attaching a motive to a particular artist is kind of impossible to do because you can't be inside their head but any motivation in our lives can be an impetus for art just imagine what that looks like you know I don't know some people make money because they want to have a lot of money and they want to have great things and other people make money because they're fearful that if they don't they're not going to off their mortgage, and sometimes it's a combination of both. And I, I don't know if most people actually separate those things all the time. Just on a,
0: the level of performing arts, it's difficult to imagine that we would have the plays of Tennessee Williams or the plays of Edward Albee if gay people had not been repressed, or at least not the same plays we might have different plays from them, but clearly that informs a lot of what they wrote,
3: right? Yes. And that, that points to something else, right? Sometimes repression can, you know, something great can come out of something not so great, right? So like the, the sneakiness of it or the, the kind of like shared language that – I don't want to misquote. I'm trying to think about uh, – give me an example of a Tennessee Williams play.
0: Glassman uh, 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 Entry. Streetcar. Entry. Well, for example, it's the 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 it's you know the characters. There's no explicitly gay characters in there, but clearly you can code some of his experiences in in the in the action of the play. Would you agree, John? Hines? Yeah, I th-
2: that's why for me the question, and, and I don't want uh, I, I don't want Eloise or any or David to back away from their giving just their opinion on it. I don't think there's any perfect answer. I'm more curious. Uh, as to whether we just think as individuals that difficult times or oppression cause can be an impetus for art for, for great art. And maybe also the piece of the, the other piece of it is whether that the experience of being oppressed or repressed is simply part of the context of art and therefore it's not necessarily because the artist is experiencing it, but rather because there's an awareness on the part of the seer or the appreciator of art that that's part of the context and that makes the art either better or worse. But I guess I'm wondering both things, you know, is art created more, it's a, I'm making an analogy to is necessity the mother of invention.
3: So just to get back to the play example, I think art has always been a way to express ideas and and feelings that Weren't considered appropriate to be stated or expressed explicitly. But in terms of the the you know the art world's focus of again dodging a bullet and not saying preoccupation with oppression, uh, you know I, I believe that that is one lens through through which to see art, but it but it's certainly not the only one.
4: Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. So partly what you're referring to is this idea of the artist has to be kind of penniless and struggling to create. The thing that they're creating, you know, you think of Van Gogh and a whole load of other um, examples that aren't going to come to mind now. But I think, regardless of whether they're experiencing explicit oppression, repression, exploitation, the creation of art is always a struggle. It's always a battle with a question or a, a thinking of a way to express something that, as David said, is it's they are not able to express in any other form, and that's a struggle
3: it's it certainly it's certainly like an action, right? It's like certainly being engaged with life. I would say that the opposite of of creation is complacency or if you're just like comfortable or if everything is just like fine, you know like that that to me is kind of that's the antithesis of art and that's the antithesis of engaging with 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 life so in situations where where somebody feels compelled. In whatever way we mean compelled, whether it's, um, you know, needing to work something out through their art or, or really needing to have their their voice heard or all of the above, I think that that is often the impetus of, of art and it can take many, many shapes and forms.
0: So we should probably start to wrap up. Eloise, did you have any final thoughts you want to share? She is giving me a look of saying why... Why am I here? Why did I ever leave England? David, any final thoughts from you? I I really
3: wish I would have gone to Oxford.
4: (laughs) I just need to make one thing clear. I don't even know that in my my bio I actually told you I went to Oxford. It's not a thing that I wanted to be discussed, so I'm sorry for everyone, and that should probably be cut. Um, I have had a delightful time. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: The first time she met me, Eloise told me how frightening I was. And I'm sure that I frighten most people, but I give her credit for being honest enough to actually tell me to my face that I I believe the word she
3: used was terrifying, that I was terrified. So I give her credit for that. Jim, this is why I asked for the podcast to not be done in person. Um, you know, people would have been more open. No, totally kidding. And this has been yeah, so much fun. And I wanted to thank everybody, Don Peggy. You guys have anything to say? I have one. More, I have one last thing. After
2: I'm that. good. Thank you.
1: Um, no, it's been interesting. Yes, thank you.
0: So I wanted to end by going back to Lily Tomlin because at the end of her performance, she would point to herself and say soup and point to the audience and say art and so i want to say in today's podcast david eloise you guys are the art i'm the soup thank you so much for getting up early on sunday and joining us
2: we would like to thank our guests today and in particular we would like to thank you If it weren't for you, we wouldn't be here. And we're always looking for new listeners. And more importantly, from the few listeners we have, we're looking for more advice and ideas about how we can make the show better. If you would like to see the liner notes for the podcast, you can go to the Two Guys website. It is really simple, www.twoguysinsearchofanargument.com, all spelled out. We'll have links to subjects and topics that we've discussed during the week. Today's podcast was inspired by Jim, Peg, and myself. Music was composed and performed by Ted Enley, and pre and post production editing, sound, publishing, and engineering of all sorts was done by Mary Heinz. I'm John Heinz, and if you like the show, we would like you to take a second and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and anywhere else you're listening to us. iTunes works great. The more positive reviews we get In iTunes, even if you do nothing more than click the five stars, the easier it is for people to get to us, the more people hear us. As we've mentioned before as well, we welcome your mail. We will probably read it on the next podcast if it's humorous or interesting. We are always looking for new guests. New show ideas, corrections, complaints, compliments, pretty much anything you have to offer. If you have any of those, you can get us by going to www2 com slash contact. You can tweet us on Twitter at 2 guys in search spelled out. You can comment on Facebook, Google Plus, or iTunes. On behalf of Jim Gentilly, Peggy Bennett, and myself, I would like to thank you for joining us this week and encourage you to join us again in two weeks. For more news-chattering talk, have a great fortnight.